Hello, listeners. I hope you are having a wonderful week so far. I'm switching it up the next few weeks with some really, really cool guests. This week, I have on Nigel Palmer. Nigel is the executive research and development chef at Home Chef, a very popular meal kit brand. We got into all things food, from his favorite Chicago restaurants and recommendations to the process behind making Home Chef meals, to some really interesting hot takes, and you may not even agree with some of them. There is also a big announcement towards the end of the episode, so make sure to stay tuned and join me in welcoming Nigel Palmer. Thank you so much for coming on and taking the time out, even though you're you're traveling. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So what have you been traveling for? For work, for personal stuff? or No, for work, for work, for yeah. Work, yeah. So we have uh, different plants uh, throughout the United States, but one of them is in San Bernardino. And then, oh. uh, yeah, so not too far from LA. And then we have uh, a kitchen uh, where we cook some product, and that's in downtown LA. Oh, okay. I was just in downtown LA like last night. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's so weird down here because it's like usually the downtown seems like in many cities is like a place where many people want to be, but I don't even see like a lot of tourists here. It's like it's just a, it's a different vibe here. Yeah, downtown LA is not really an area I visit often. Yeah. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> yep, and uh, yeah, I know, I, I understand why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't know until you go, but. <laughs> yeah. All right, so for people who don't know, um, Nigel is the executive research and development chef at Home Chef. So Home yep. Chef is a very popular meal kit brand. A lot of my friends use it. I've used nice. it because I've interviewed quite a few people for the brand and stuff for editorial reasons but I want to get into your food background a little bit I couldn't find much beyond your LinkedIn yeah uh I'm not really on social media anymore like I'm not on Facebook anymore I'm not on Instagram anymore and intentionally uh reduced my social media presence for my own sanity fair I've been cooking what feels like my entire life I think since I was I started cooking for my family at the age of eight and I knew I wanted to be a chef from that moment, like at that time. So really, uh, eight years old. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to be a marine biologist when I got my first fish. Oh, uh, me too. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it's a great I, career, but I. <laughs> <laughs> Once I took some science classes, I was like, I don't think that's for me anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then yeah, at the age of eight, I used to come home every day and I'd watch the show Great Chefs. And it was, I was just like hooked. Both of my parents worked. So a lot of times my mom would just come home and like cook dinner when she got uh, got home, uh, mm-hmm. which I knew was stressful. And I was like watching the show and I was like, I think I could do this. So one time I just like cooked dinner without her permission. And uh, she was like, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, but it <laughs> turned out well. Then she was just like, well, just tell me what you want to make for the week. And she would shop and then I would just make dinner every day after school. Oh my gosh, so. yeah, I'm sure she wasn't happy you were using the oven without her permission. 
Yeah, I mean, she got over it very quickly, which is which is good. So, I mean, I feel like that really facilitated my ability to just like between like watching that show and then I would watch the show and I would just be like, I think I can replicate things from the show, even though I didn't know what I was doing. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, I think that's probably where I learned how to, to chop, like to use a knife. It was just by watching the show and like teaching myself from a young age. And so, yeah, I just cooked a lot every day for my family. Anytime we had like special occasions, people coming over, I cooked when I was a little kid. And then that's I think, insane. yeah, that, it's a weird thing, right? To like stumble into something you're that passionate about at such a young age. And I've never yeah. been that passionate about almost really anything else. Wow, that's incredible. What was the show about? What, what Was it more of a tutorial type show? Competitive? I'm not familiar with it, so. So I'm 43, so we should just level set on like, it was a, a while ago, uh, but Great Chefs okay. was a show where they would go into like fine dining restaurants and they oh. would show like, uh, here are like three dishes from this restaurant and they would show you like how they make it and then like the final thing, but it wasn't really, it was really just to kind of like, showcase what the restaurant could do but it wasn't like recipes it was just like oh we make this and we do this and this and then here's the end result and it was just my favorite show in the world oh are are you really into the food shows now do you have time to watch them uh i have i like have mixed feelings about food shows i mean everybody has time to watch tv somehow right even when we don't have time we somehow have time uh but mm -hmm. i don't watch a ton of food shows because There's while so i do many. like them yeah, there are a lot. I don't really love super intense competitions because it's just not what I love about cooking and food. Yeah. I don't mind competition, but I like when it kind of at the end of the day, everybody's kind of like wants to see everybody succeed. Those are the ones I like. So a lot of the big yeah. ones like Hell's Kitchen, and th like those are not the ones that I get into. I don't like a lot of shouting. I just want to see good food. Yeah, yeah. When you get into Hell's Kitchen, I can't watch too many episodes in a row because it can just be a little, a little yeah. too much. It's also like kind of a shtick, right? Like, I don't think that's how he actually is. Uh, although no, that's definitely. probably how Gordon Ramsay was like brought up, right? Because he was with Marco Pierre White, who yelled a lot. He was known for that. Mm -hmm. But for Gordon Ramsay, it seems like more of a shtick. But I mean, it's whatever. It's uh, it's kind of like part of his brand. So. Yeah, um, no, I've talked to quite a few chefs who worked with him. They were on MasterChef or they were on Hell's Kitchen. And they were like, he's not like that at all. Yeah. So. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's... I understand that. It's but. not super healthy for our industry either, but you know, um, what are you going to do? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Let's dive deeper into that. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think, I think anytime like being verbally abused is not good in any industry. And so I think kind of like glorifying it is not, is not ideal, but, uh, yeah. I'm not trying to take some big stand like he's, yeah, yeah. We all know. We all know it's just like a, a marketing thing uh, many times and that I don't think many kitchens run that way. And I've, I've honestly never been yelled at. Like people have been tough on me, but to like scream in my face, never. Like I would not put up with being treated like that. So I actually have had this conversation a lot recently on my podcast, too, because I've talked to several people who are in culinary school and we've brought up the mean chef stereotype mm -hmm. several times. And they were saying they haven't necessarily experienced that. And, and it was very different. It was more like criticism sure. or more of a learning kind of curve. Is that kind of your point as well? Yeah, I think the majority of chefs are very tough on people. They set high 
high standards. But I think when you get into just like degrading people, it's not that it doesn't exist because it certainly does. And I would say yeah. like where I'm, where I kind of like came up, which would have been like French restaurants that were in the in the like the suburbs of Chicago. There were some chefs that were notorious, like throwing pans and knives and things oh, wow. like that. I never worked for any of them. I knew people who did, but yeah. that's that's not a place that I would would be able to survive. No, I mean that's just toxic too. But that's going to be in any industry or exactly. There's always going to be those few that do that. But let's circle back to yep. you cooking when you were a kid. What was your go-to meal? Do you remember what you were cooking? Not really. I cooked a lot, a lot of stuff. I remember. I was going to say it sounds like really diverse. So yeah, I remember like some things that like just didn't work out, and it was just like things that. It was just too many. It was too many years. I, I'm not like my brain doesn't hang on to <laughs> hang on to stuff like that. It's like I cook a mm-hmm. thing, and it actually is. This is this same mentality has followed me through my whole career. Is like I don't really remember like specific meals so much as like lessons learned from meals, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of like what I always preach to the chefs that report to me now. It's like hang on to the lessons, but you forget forget the failure, forget the success. Just hang on to the lessons that you get out of it. Uh, because that's how you like you can keep rolling forward and uh, you don't kind of like get stuck in a rut so I try and cook all types of food all cuisines and I've been like that since I was young so I just um, I kind of like don't specialize in anything I'm not a master of any one singular cuisine but I certainly know my way around many cuisines is there one that you normally opt towards or you're just across the board I'm just across the board. I don't stick to any one thing. A lot of cooking to me is about like ingredient availability and then just what the mood is, what the weather's like. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, invariably people ask like, what's your favorite thing to make? Or what's the favorite dish? And I just don't operate in favorites, which like kills my daughter. She's always like, what's your favorite color? Which, and I'm just like, I have no favorites. Everything <laughs> depends on mood. And like, I like all colors. I like so same thing with food. Like I like all foods and it just depends on like, what's the occasion? What's the weather? What am I feeling? And then what's available. So my favorite thing is like just to go to a store to a market and get ingredients and kind of like come up with what I'm going to make as I'm shopping, which is infuriating for anybody who's like trying to plan with me, but it's just, that's how I <laughs> operate best is like what's available, what do I like? And then kind of like formulate from there. Yeah, I do the same thing. I'm like, that looks good. I'll do that yeah. this week or whatever. But I think everyone's favorite answer to anything is just based on what it is at the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think anyone has one stuck favorite that they're stuck with for the rest of their entire life. Totally agree. I just, I refuse to have a favorite at this point. <laughs> <laughs> that's your strong stance right <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> went from a line cook to a sous chef i saw you were a chef manager at a few companies Mm -hmm. and now you're at home chef was there anyone you worked with maybe like a mentor or someone that inspired you to foster your creativity as a chef is there anyone that you look up to it doesn't have to be famous or just someone you work yeah i mean i think throughout my my time everybody has mentors hopefully if you're fortunate and so i think there's always Mm -hmm. people that kind of like take you under their wing, show you something to varying degrees. And so 
you know, I went to culinary school straight out of uh, out of high school, and I just because I'd been doing cooking for so long, I always felt like like I was kind of like born for it. <laughs> so when I went to culinary school, it was like, oh, I'm actually finally where I belong. And I did well at culinary school, and I had instructors who really looked out for me. The dean at the time, he uh, would like pull me aside and talk to me and look for good opportunities for me. So I think it started then. And those are people that even after I graduated, I was able to kind of like reach out to. And then the first restaurant I worked at coming out of culinary school, that chef, his name is Michael Maddox. He was just like a great teacher, thoughtful, like very precise and held a high standard, but he was always respectful. He was always trying to build you up. And uh, I think those are the kind of lessons that like really helped me in my career, not just for me personally, but also like how I manage other people is to like not be the person that's tearing everybody down. And uh, that's a, a lesson you have to like learn continuously throughout your career because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes your own ambition can like strip out your good qualities or your ego. Uh, so those are always things that I like, I always remember Michael, which actually the interesting thing about that job was like, I actually watched that, that restaurant was on Great Chefs. So as a kid, oh, I was okay. watching the owner whose name was Pierre Paulin and then Michael Maddox. Like, yeah. I remember watching them. And I oh, was like, so oh, they're cool. not that far from me. Like, maybe I'll work there someday. And then, like, I ended up working there. And, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. That is so cool. Yeah, that's so fun when it comes full circle like yeah. that. Everything just comes back. I was in um, – I started as a food and beverage writer. Mm-hmm. And I was in a club in college, and that's kind of how I got started. And then they asked me to come back and actually speak. Oh, that's cool. At the club. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I felt, like, so cool. Like, when they were all asking questions, I'm like, I'm only a few years into this. So I don't know yeah. if I'm the right person to always ask. Yeah, yeah, But, like, it's really cool when you can be in that mentorship position that you learned from when you were rising. So. Because you never feel that far from it, right? Like, it's. It's like, well, I wasn't in this position that much longer ago, but you know, it's uh, yeah, it is always nice. Yeah, and you were based in Chicago, mm-hmm. right? Pretty much. Your whole yeah, life. I've been. Yeah, I always thought I was going to move away, and I'm like still there. <laughs> so. Uh, see, <laughs> everyone says that, yeah. and then they stay. Oh, I was like 18. I'm out of here. Or like after culinary school, I'm out of here. And then I was, after this job, I'm out of here. And then like. I'm still here mm-hmm. and I have a family and a house. <laughs> you know, it's like, now I'm like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you got to teach your daughter to cook and then that's, she'll rise up too. That's true. That's, <laughs> that's a real challenge for me. <laughs> do you prefer, like, do you, are you good at teaching others or kind of mentoring others or advising her? Is that like a separate thing? Yeah. <laughs> I, I always say like, I can be a teacher, but only for the most gifted students. Which is not to say, like, I'm such a good teacher. It's like, I need somebody who's, like, already really self-motivated, which is really how I learned Mm -hmm. how to cook. Like, I was super self-motivated. So, like, my daughter wants to learn how to cook, but she, like, gets distracted. She's not as, like, self-motivated for cooking. She's very self-motivated for other things. But uh, so it's, like, difficult for me. I'm just like, like, I want to cut this way. And then it's like, well, it's not that way. Mm -hmm. And then I have to be like, well, that's fine. (laughs) <laughs> it's a learning it's a it's yeah. a learning curve for all of us but no she's she does good <laughs> she does good cooking which is which is really nice that's funny yeah i have a similar story my sister 
she is not a cook at all. She just likes to grill because it's easy and hmm. she can <laughs> do whatever. Okay. Yeah. Grilling's like, not that easy. I, I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't know. She'll just put things on yeah. the grill. I don't know. So one day I was like, I'm going to teach you how to just cook a basic meal. Yeah. And I had like zucchini noodles. I had whatever else. And they were taking too long for her. So she was like, I, I think I'm going to take a step back from this. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I just, I ended up doing the whole thing. <laughs> but I'm also very particular. In what way? I have an idea in my head. So I'm also really creative. I had normally have an idea in my head, but I can't necessarily explain that to other people. I kind of just throw things uh -huh. together and I'm like, okay, this is what looks good. But mm. if I tell them to chop something a certain way and they don't do it yeah. the way I've envisioned in my head, then it's all going yes. awry. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. Like if I'm ever cooking for like uh, like having people over and people are like, what can what can I do to help? And in my I have to be gracious, but in my head I'm like nothing yeah. because I can't explain to you like every little thing. And if you do it wrong, yeah. then I'm just gonna wanna be like, well, forget about it. <laughs> like internally. I don't actually say all of that and I usually just don't let people help me. I'm just like, I'll just take care yeah, of it. Yeah, sometimes you just gotta realize <laughs> it's just easier yourself, that way. But like they do have to have the motivation for it. Otherwise they're just not gonna be interested yeah. and it's not gonna come out like the way they want it. So Yeah. Yeah, no drinking wine and talking. It's like <laughs> I just need to like kitchen. cut this stuff up, <laughs> get it cooking. <laughs> never negative. I never say that, but it is very like, yeah, it's very like line cook mm -hmm. mentality to be like, don't touch my cutting board, don't touch my knife. And I always have to like stop <laughs> I mean, myself from being thing. that way. It means you're efficient. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. You always have to put a positive. That's a nice spin. That's <laughs> the way life works. Um, so I have a question yeah, for, for you. Sure. You're in Chicago. I'm going to Chicago in a few weeks. If you have any restaurant mm -hmm. recommendations. There's obviously mm -hmm. like a number of like well-known places. I mean, you're here in LA and I think Stephanie Isaac yes, has a place here like Cabra, but she has a bunch of restaurants, which are, yeah, very popular places in Chicago. So she's got a few restaurants there. So girl and the goats. Uh, it's still like a solid place. It's uh, like it's not quite as awesome yeah. as it was when it first opened, but that's kind of how restaurants are, right? They're like yeah. new and shiny. Now it's still just it's very solid. I think the the one part is like Chicago style yeah. pizza, which is always controversial for people who are not from Chicago. Deep dish pizza. I I think it's more okay. like steering you away from the places you shouldn't go. Like <laughs> I, I don't know if okay. I should call up, but I'll say the places you should go. If you're going to try Chicago style pizza, okay. you should try Pequod's. Uh, there's one in the Lincoln Park neighborhood. The original one is actually not far from where I live, which is in the suburbs in Morton Grove. Uh, that to me is kind of like the best, one of the best versions of Chicago style pizza you're going to get. Not too far from the one in the suburbs is Burt's Pizza, which used to be like super, super famous. Uh, Burt since, has since died but then some other people bought it. But that's like where Anthony Bourdain went when he went to Chicago, so Bird's Pizza. So those are the places to try. Pequod's, Bird's, there's a few others. If you really have to go to one that's like a 
high volume place, I would say it would be uh, Lou Malnati's. Like that's the one everybody knows. It is not the best one though. Yeah. Yeah. I went to a chain when I was there like the first time, but it Mm -hmm. it It was was terrible. Fine. I mean, I didn't think it was anything to write home about, you know? (laughs) One of the things I always say though, and I don't think I'm the first person to say this, but controversially, I do think that Chicago is one of the best Mm. pizza cities because we have good versions of almost every style of pizza. Oh. Where it's like, you go to New York and there's like New York yeah. style pizza. And you'll probably find some like Neapolitan style pizzas. And there's not, not really anything else. And there's also a lot of terrible pizza. <laughs> there in, uh, in Chicago, yeah, we've got Chicago style pizza, which there are two types. There's pub style pizza, which mm-hmm. is really thin, deep dish. We've got really good New York style pizza. We've got great Neapolitan style pizza. We've got like New England style pizza places. So I feel like if you were going to go on like some sort of pizza crawl and you wanted to try like a lot of good versions of different types of pizza, Chicago is the place for it. Detroit style pizza, we have a lot of good versions of that. So, Oh, that's good to know. I haven't heard that before. Yeah. Pauly G's, in, which is actually from New York, but Pauly G's in Chicago they serve a, D- a Detroit style pizza that is like so oh, good. Okay, yeah, I felt like deep dish was just so much cheese. It was just, and I love cheese, but it just was like an overload, yeah. at least the one I went to. So maybe if I go to one that's a little bit more sure. like decadent, then it'll be a little better. Yeah, go to, if you go to a better place, there's still a lot of cheese, but it's okay. less. It's, it's less than like some of the like kind of, yeah. The ones that'll be like on Michigan Avenue downtown, like those are not the okay. best deal. All right, I'm getting all the intel here. Now I'm gonna have to impress my family. <laughs> but Chicago's a great city. I mean, yeah, I really liked it a lot. Actually, it surprised me. It seemed really. It was like cleaner than I thought, and there seemed like there was mm-hmm. a lot to do, and there seemed like there was yep. good food as well. So. Yeah, it's 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 got everything, and then it becomes winter, and then like yeah. kind of nothing is happening, but. During the warm months, like Chicago is just, it's like one of the best cities to be in. So let's transition into talking yeah. about the R&D of it all. Did you find mm-hmm. that there was any difficulty translating your restaurant experience to meal kits? So I didn't go directly from restaurants to home chef. And I think that really actually helped me. So I was in corporate dining and catering for a few different uh, companies. Mm -hmm. And I think that really helped me to transition better into R&D for just regular people. Um, Because in corporate dining and catering, for the most part, you're cooking people's like breakfast and lunch in like a business setting. Mm -hmm. And you have to cater to their needs and to their palates. And so that really like helped me to break free of like everything has to be fancy or everyone mm-hmm. everyone has to like this certain thing because uh because it's a technique i know right. and to really break it down into like actually what do people enjoy what do they want um so that's i think really it really helped me to refine my understanding of like this customer base which is the majority of people who are just like you know what? i just want a really tasty meal yeah that's fairly simple, but also gives me something that I couldn't normally get at home. So I think transitioning from that into Home Chef, that was the, like the, the perfect bridge for me because then I wasn't kind of like 
stuck on like, oh, restaurant cooking, and it has to be this way, and I have to be able to like show off what I can do. It's like the benefit or like the success is when the customer says like, oh, this was great, and I really enjoyed it, and not necessarily like, oh, you're an amazing chef. Right. See, that's interesting because you have to make it simple but unique enough that they're going to want to buy it. Yes. Yeah. We always say, like, you're just doing regular food with, like, the smallest twist. Yeah. Do you ever run out of inspiration for ideas? Do you kind of recycle old recipes or you're constantly coming up with new innovative ones? It is a mix of all of that. Uh, do you run out of ideas? I mean, I've been at this for almost eight years. I haven't run out of ideas yet. And well, I think that's just because there are too, too many ideas out there. Mm-hmm. But you do hit like blocks. You hit times when it's like difficult to come up with ideas. Um, but then I just remind myself like you haven't done everything yet. So um, you just kind of usually have to have tricks that can be cookbooks, that can be mm. blogs, that can be going out to a restaurant, that can be what you've had when you travel, that can be what you grew up with. I think if you're mining like multiple spots for like where to find inspiration that you'll you'll never run out. And then of course it's like, what's worked in the past? And then like, how do I put a twist on that? And so I don't think you can run out of ideas. I don't think it's possible. That's a good outlook. But I'd like to find it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good if outlook. If it's possible, I'd like to get to that point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. I would love that creative energy <laughs> not to run out of ideas. I mean, I'm always thinking of new things, but at the same time, I'm like, sometimes you do get stuck. At least I do. <laughs> Probably helps that, so for the R&D chefs at Home Chef, we have to come up with essentially like 10 new meals every week, like meal ideas every week, which 10 doesn't sound like a lot, but when you think about having like a fully formed meal and then you just do it week after week after week after week after week, it is like a real grind. And so, um, like I said, you just, you end up having to, come up with all these different ways but you also have the pressure of like i have to do this right and i think sometimes like it's like cramming for a test it's like oh well now i have to make it happen i know that that for me that powered me like if i was ever really struggling <laughs> weirdly enough i would kind of like procrastinate and leave it to the last minute and i'll then my brain would just like click in with like well now we're under the gun we have to come up with ideas. i do that all the time I <laughs> procrastinate because I just know that I work better under pressure. Yeah. So I wait until literally the night before. If any of my editors are hearing this, I'm sorry. <laughs> I literally wait until the night before and it's probably 10 p.m. And then I stay up to like 1 or 2 a.m. And I'm like, then I get it done. I just can't do yeah. it. And I know I have so much time. I just can't get oh, it done. I know. I don't know what that is. Yeah. It's it's so and every time I'm in that position, I'm like, why can't I be one of those people who just gets it done ahead of time? Because like now it's stressful. Yeah. But it's also like it's also sort of my best work. So it's like, I don't know what's what's the balance. But uh, I think every person is different, too. You know, like I work with uh, some of the chefs at Home Chef are really good at like just getting it all done early. And I've, I think we we always want everybody to have the space to work how they need to work creatively. Mm -hmm. And so we try, we kind of like, it's a, essentially across the space of the week of a week, you have to develop these 10 ideas. So okay. wherever you fit it in across that, that time is what you, you can do, do it however you want to do it. 
um, so long as the ideas are good. Right. Can you walk me through that process a little bit more? Like, what's the timeline for how mm -hmm. that all works? Sure. So, I mean, think we usually have, uh, let's, we'll say like on a Friday, we have a meeting where we go over ideas. Okay. Everybody's new ideas. That means like, uh, essentially from that like Friday afternoon until the following Friday, you have the space to come up with the, with, with, uh, 10 ideas. Now, how you do that is going to vary at home chef. We use a lot of data. So we okay. are always looking at like, uh, what have customers liked in the past? How does this idea rate versus this idea? How does this uh, cuisine do versus this cuisine? Mm. On top of that, it's not open-ended. We're asking for very specific things. We need a chicken dish that falls into like these nutritional categories. And sometimes we might even say like, actually, we're over-indexed on Italian, so no Italian <laughs> meals, right? And so I think it actually becomes easier to be creative when you're in a box because you don't have the whole world at your disposal. It's like, well, I have to figure out how to make a chicken dish work within mm. these parameters. And somehow the restrictions lead to more creative freedom, which is counterintuitive, but it's just easier to develop when, if somebody is just like, oh, make me a recipe and you're like, well, where do I start? What do you need? What do you want? Right, this right. is like more, more targeted so that you kind of like know what you're shooting for. And now it's just your job to like put the puzzle pieces together. Yeah, no, I understand that. Cause when you're given the basics, you have the ability to be more creative with it and kind of think outside mm -hmm. of the box a little bit versus when you have yeah. the whole world at your reach, it's like, where the heck do I start? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. And so then for, for like within home chef, and then I think to an even greater extent within our culinary department at home chef, feedback is just a huge part of what we do. So you come up with ideas, you get feedback on those ideas and mm -hmm. we honesty is like such a huge part of what we do and feedback criticism it's like just baked into like how we operate so it's like anytime i'm hiring it's like one of the big things is like can you take criticism mm -hmm. and not take it personally can you just have somebody tell you like your idea is not good right. and like have that not like crush your ego mm -hmm. um and so we've just built that into the department and uh so you get feedback on on that and essentially from that feedback we say like yes you can r&d this or no you can't and then when you are R&Ding, you get feedback there as well and people sometimes will be like well this is not very good mm -hmm. um and then you have to take that feedback and you have to change the idea change the recipe make it again you get feedback again and then once the recipe makes it past that point now we kind of have like more of a menu selection process and you get feedback again. It's like, well, yeah, this tasted okay, but here are some issues with it. So there's another set of feedback. Once it finally makes it to the menu, it goes out to customers. And then we go over all of the customer feedback. So every every time a customer puts in their feedback every week, we go over every single customer comment. And uh, we, we kind of like put it all together and we try and get learnings from that that we can use moving forward. So for an R&D chef at Home Chef, every step of the way it's like taking feedback using feedback using it to improve uh current recipes and future recipes and i think that's kind of been one of the our big keys to success is that we've learned how to give customers what they want and that's because we're listening to them and i think uh 
it's really helped our product to like turn into something that has a fairly loyal following. Yeah, that's exactly what I actually wanted to ask you, because when you do receive that negative feedback, do you, I mean, do you receive negative feedback a lot and feel like you have to adjust? Sure. I mean, it kind of depends. We do, of course, you get negative feedback. I mean, it's kind of like Yelp reviews, right? Like there's going to be, yeah. be people who are just want to say something something bad and that's and that's okay that's their opinion i always try and think of feedback as like it's just the data point right so whether somebody likes it or doesn't they're a single data point and it doesn't really mean anything until you see see it all together to know like okay is this an actual thing or is this just one person's opinion but i my personality prefers negative feedback like the positive feedback i could i could do without um i'm just like tell me where you need me to get better as opposed to like keeping praise on me. I'm just, I'm less comfortable with that. Uh, yeah. So I kind of like thrive on the negative feedback. People don't typically get too nasty. Although there are people who are like, you know, Chef Nigel's food is terrible. It's fine. <laughs> oh no. And there are other people who praise you, right? Like there's other people who are like, anytime I see your recipes, I'll get them. They're both, it's just, it's just opinions. Ultimately what I want is to like get something out of it. Personally, I don't find it too damaging. And I think we have built our team so that that negative feedback is not too damaging, but nobody is like shielded from it. Like we can see it. The real thing is just, we have to use it to make a better product. And so we focus on that. Yeah. And it's up to their discretion because they're the ones cooking it mm -hmm. kind of as well. So, I mean, if it's bad, it could also be them. <laughs> it could be, it could be, but we, so our culinary department is more than just chefs cooking. We have, editors and recipe writers mm -hmm. and people who specialize in ingredients and new product development and menu strategy. So there's a lot of people who are involved in this. I think we're able to use everybody's expertise to make sure that we really understand uh, where are the places we can push to make things better. So right. sure, our customers might make mistakes, and we could just be like, well, they're just terrible at cooking. But realistically, it's like, actually, we just need to get better at writing recipes. So let's make recipes that are simple, where the wording is done in a way that like, we can minimize confusion. We have like editors who like work so hard, they do such a good job to like, have kind of like unified language through all of our through all of our recipes. That way, if you're a home chef customer, like, you kind of like know the wording. And if you've cooked a few recipes, you're like, Oh, I know what to do next. Because We've mm -hmm. built it that way so that it's that okay. it just becomes more and more intuitive the more you use the product. Yeah. And you don't have social media so you can weed out the negative comments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, even when I was on like Instagram and there, it, it, would, it was mostly people with positive things to say who reach out. So that's that's always helpful. Yeah. No, that's great, too. I, I feel like people will find you no matter what if they want to yeah, be they positive. Do. Back. <laughs> so. Yeah, people even on LinkedIn, and I'm like, LinkedIn's not, I mean, it's social media, but it's not really. Nah. But yeah, people will like <laughs> reach out and say like, oh, good job on this meal. And I'm like, oh, oh, thanks. <laughs> Left your chicken piccata Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I've interviewed a good amount of talent for Home Chef partnerships. So like mm -hmm. Sean Johnson and Andrew East, and then my most recent was Tegan Gerard. So she's oh, nice for yeah. people who don't know on social media. Do you work closely with the talent to create the meals? Me personally, no. Our, my department, so the culinary department, yes. So 
it's really a collaboration and obviously it kind of depends on who the the person is some people are a little bit more hands-off some people are very hands-on um but we we work with both uh groups to make sure that we're fulfilling their vision but also that their vision is something that works it's like something we can produce and something that will work for our customers so there's like there's a lot of back and forth give and take and just trying to get to a place where everybody is happy most importantly that our customers are happy i've been a part of it in the in the past right now that's not really a part of my responsibilities at all right okay yeah well i would imagine people who are recipe creators are likely more involved because they're the ones that mm-hmm. are pretty much creating it so yeah yeah and then the other talent is probably more just like a face to kind of the brand I would yeah probably. but it, it's cool to work with i think it's it's very cool to see somebody else's vision and to try and make it work in the home chef world and for our customers i think it kind of like infuses our our product with the something like new and exciting and i think half-baked harvest is like a really good example of that she definitely has like a culinary perspective that is Mm -hmm. not purely home chef but i think we have enough places where we kind of like overlap that it really works and i i think that our our department like enjoyed working with her and Mm -hmm. i think our customers so far have been super excited to have to see her stuff on the menu so um, i think great partnership and hopefully she enjoyed the process i know our team was uh enjoyed the process and our customers are loving it so yeah, no, that that was really a great one. She's had great recipes for a really long time, at least that I've followed. How do you source your ingredients, though? Do you have certain ingredients that are available to you, kind of like mm-hmm. in that creative box you were saying? Are you able to go outside of that? It's like yes and no. The ingredients okay. are part of what makes the box because obviously we can't just do it anything. We have to be able to source it across four different fulfillment centers or plants. Um, so it's not like people are running out to the grocery store, right? Like we have the, the volumes that we're working with takes, you know, getting that those products in takes months of planning. We have a whole department that works in onboarding, uh, ingredient ingredients. And so we work really closely with them to say like, Hey, here's what we would like. And they mm-hmm. go out and find it. And if it's feasible and it makes sense, then they bring it into us and we do sampling. So we do a lot of sampling. We're always tasting new products in addition to like probably 30 plus meals a day being tasted in our department. We also have a lot of ingredients that get tasted in multiple rounds. So they'll make changes, they'll do little things and then we have to taste them again. We have to give feedback. Of course, we eat a lot. We do a lot of tasting and then we're, we're like approving it and we onboard it and then we start using it in recipes and, um, it's been kind of cool over the years to just know, like, I've, I've tasted a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Some of them have been great and some of them have been terrible. Mm-hmm. More ingredients than I probably ever would have been tried on my own, right? So, Yeah. Is there any that stand out to you? Do you have any examples of, like, foods like the, that you necessarily did not use? <laughs> oh. So uh, we recently started a, like, we have, now we have, a much bigger vegetarian offering. So seven meals a week that are vegetarian. We did a lot of, of tastings for like looking for vegetarian proteins. Obviously mm-hmm. there's things like impossible meat um, that we'd had on the, the menu before. We're, we're going to have like seitan coming, but trying like a bunch of those, which oh. is like high gluten 
with a high gluten uh, like uh, protein alternative. We tried a lot of jackfruits. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. Tacos. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of jackfruits. I don't really mm. love the texture or really the flavor. I see that. But I've had to eat a lot of it <laughs> over the last few months. So. Uh. Sometimes you taste things that you really like. Sometimes intense tastings have meant that now I no longer like something. So many years ago, we had a, like a shrimp tasting and we had to taste, I think, like 50 different types of shrimp. I haven't liked oh, shrimp wow. since then. Like, I try and <laughs> avoid it. It was just, it was overwhelming. So. My gosh. That's like when you find a meal you like and then you literally make it until yeah. you actually want to die when you eat it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I do that to myself all the time. I'm like, I need to stop doing that because I'm ruining all my favorite meals. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, that, that happens all the time. So I want to get into some cooking tips. Yeah. If you are up for it. So sure. say you are looking to whip up a meal, but are short on time. What are the first few ingredients you would grab? Of course, it depends on what ingredients you have. Right. I typically eat like in your kitchen. Yeah, in my kitchen. So the first place I'm looking is like, what vegetables do I have present? So I, I think mm -hmm. something that's either all vegetables or just vegetables and a little meat. Vegetables typically, depending on the vegetable, uh, cook up fairly quickly. That said, my my little hack, which again, this is nothing original, but like, use the microwave. Um, people ha look at yeah. People yeah. look at the microwave and they're like, no, that's like a bad. It's just a cooking implement, and just you should use it. So like, potatoes. Throw potatoes in the microwave. There's just like no reason to boil potatoes. Mm. You know, like if you're making mashed potatoes, especially like, just put them in the microwave. You like cut down so yeah. much time. You don't have to use any water. It's so much faster, and they turn out the same. Yeah, I should do that. I normally do broccoli in the microwave. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I really yeah. love doing, like, uh, you know, like smashed potatoes where you cook them, and then you make them, you smash them and make them, like, really crispy, like, in a pan. Oh, yeah. I love doing that, so you just get, the like, the little potatoes. I just microwave them for, like, eight minutes, and then you just smash them on the plate, and then you just throw them into a hot pan, and then you have, like, the, like, crispy, like, little cottage fries, and it takes like 15 minutes and you've got a super huh. tasty tasty treat but yeah use the microwave and then just pick things that are like quick cooking any like more tender vegetable season it well and you'll have a delicious meal yeah i'm i'm taking that advice with me nice what are three foods that you should have in your pantry at all times Ooh, three foods or three ingredients we'll do ingredients okay Let's three ingredients, ingredients. <laughs> Well, you always have to have flour, I think, because mm. you can do both sweet and savory and you can make cake spreads. And who doesn't love those? Well, some people don't, but I love them. More broadly, I, I think it's always important just to have like a lot of seasoning. I like to have options. And so like you have to have more than salt and pepper and like Italian seasoning. I need like curries. I need all sorts of peppers. I need as many ingredients as I can like fit into my pantry. I need like those mm -hmm. spices to be at my at, available to me at all times because I never know what I'm in the mood yeah. for. <laughs> so no, that's a fair point. I, I feel like I end up using the same spices, but I get sent a lot of like spices and PR packages mm -hmm. and stuff. So I've been 
trying to use that. My one that I'm using now is from Spice House, I think. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's like a um, sesame, I want to say chives. I don't know. I'm not going to probably get it wrong. Oh, it's like, but I think I have that one because Spice House is like the, this out by, out by me too. So like the actual shops. Uh, is it like a, is it like a shallot and chive and there's like salt yeah. in it? Yeah. That one's so yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. I love that one. I put that one on like, um, soy noodles and then like salmon and stuff I've been doing. That one is so good and it smells good too. Yeah. I love the so, spice house. <laughs> well, when you're in Chicago, <laughs> there's too. the spice house is there. It's like great. Cause like, as soon as you open the door, like the smell is just like, you just like immediately want to cook because just you can smell all of the spices and herbs and it's a, it's a really great experience. The spices, you know how people, this is so weird, how people used to sniff like Sharpies. Yeah. I'm just sniffing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Much better for you too. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, with Thanksgiving coming up, do you have any recommendations for non-traditional foods that you should add to the table? Ooh. I don't know. So like my family is from Jamaica. Thanksgiving is not like a thing that I grew up with at all. I'm not from Jamaica. I was born here and raised here, but I was raised by Jamaicans. So okay. while I was surrounded by Thanksgiving, you know, Thanksgiving is just not, is not a part of what I've ever celebrated. And so I guess every Thanksgiving for me is non-traditional because it's just like, well, I'm home with my family. And so like, and we're all off, so I'm going to cook something, but it's like, again, I'm just cooking what I want. And I, I would say for people who are looking to do something different, it's like, you don't have to be stuck with whatever the tradition is. Just make food that you enjoy. You don't have to have mm -hmm. pumpkin pie. <laughs> like you can have key lime pie if you prefer that. So to me, it's like, if you're together with your family and friends, don't feel like you're, you're like uh, hemmed in by tradition. Just make food that you want to and if you can, yeah. if you can infuse in some of like whatever your family food traditions are. So like my family is Jamaican. If I'm home, I'm, I'm going to make curried goat and I'm going to make oxtail, like things that I don't normally have as much time to make. Now I like have a whole day home. Like I'm making that I'm making rice and peas. I'm making, I'm making the coconut milk myself for that. Like those are the things that like, I really enjoy, like, okay, I have time. I'm going to do it like the most traditional way. Even though I don't think everybody needs to be stuck on tradition, but let's switch in now. Then, is there an underrated Jamaican dish that you think more people should know about or want maybe try? Curried goats is probably uh -huh. between curry goat and oxtails, my two favorite dishes. I would say just curry goat because I don't think many Americans are familiar with eating goat, um, and not really. it's such a great meat. It's like if you like lamb, but you are kind of like turned off by some of the lambiness, then you would like goat. Mm -hmm. Goat is like less lamby <laughs> lamb. <laughs> it's yeah. a, a weird way. <laughs> less lamb. lamb. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it, it's great for slow cooking. The meat comes out tender and beautiful. It pairs. It's like the perfect meat for curry. It just, it pairs so well. And I just, I love it so much. Um, I actually just recently we had our for our culinary department we had kind of like a cookout. I just roasted a whole goat for the first time, which was an adventure. Whoa! And even just roasted, it's still delicious. So it's lean. It's a uh, more goat. People should be eating goat. 
So you're using curry on that. Do you add any other spices? Uh, when I roast, no curry. But uh, when when oh. we when I make curried goat, it's so it's Jamaican curry, which is you know it's just a version of Indian curry. Obviously, yeah. like there's a huge Indian uh, influence in in Jamaica because of spice trades and all of that. And there's just a lot of Indians that yeah. live there. Actually, my I guess my great grandmother would have been born. Or my great great grandmother would have been born in in India, so it's like there's just a lot of like mixing of cultures in Jamaica, which is beautiful. And so, like when you're making curried goat, there's there's Jamaican curry, but then some people use coconut milk, some people don't, which is now like a little more tropical. There's like a lot of like mm-hmm. a lot of fresh thyme that's used, a lot of like scallions or green onions, mm-hmm. various peppers, so Scotch bonnet peppers. So it's like I love that Jamaican food is like this mashup of like indigenous people from Jamaica plus the slave trade plus the spice trade plus like all of these things mashed mm-hmm. together. It's like the food really represents the people and it's just like everything together makes something that's so beautiful. So yeah, Jamaican food is awesome and it's really kind of like my only real connection with Jamaican culture. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't grow up where my parents went back to Jamaica every year. And um, so it's just like growing up with the food, my grandma cooking it, my mom cooking it. That's like my real connection to Jamaican culture. Something There's something about food that's just so beautiful when you can connect it with your family and your history and everything else. It's like food will never go yeah. away and it has so much history behind it. And you can just kind of do it with your family. I mean, my dad, I'm Italian. So. Okay, great. Do, you know, pasta is yeah. my thing. Do, do you know but... <laughs> where in Italy, like your family came from? I believe Calabria. Okay. I think it's more south. Sounds right. <laughs> I, yeah, right. We, I believe I have a few people out there, yeah. but we're not really like in contact sure. with them. But I would say probably the staple in my family is like my dad's tomato sauce or whatever the, you know, the Italian stuff. The basic things yeah yeah that's cool uh, italy seems like a great I, I i would love to go and i i love the food there's actually a show on uh amazon prime prime it's called dinner club and it like it's kind of like this chef okay. and he like takes his his friends but he's an italian chef it's all in italian it's just like subtitles but they just like travel over uh, all around italy and like eat food and cook and i just wow. absolutely love it stanley tucci has one. Oh yeah yeah Searching for Italy is a good good one. You know what you should watch? I interviewed Lydia Bastinich like Hmm. a while back. Yeah, she's been around forever. Yeah. Yeah, she's been around forever for people that are listening. She's she's kind of iconic. But she had a PBS special that was integrating her immigration life. And like she was meeting other people who had immigrated to America. And she was talking all about the culture and the food and kind of how it all came together and then she was talking about her own immigration story so i think oh yeah that sounds that. cool it's like yeah it's really interesting it's probably i think it's an hour or so but yeah that that's something really interesting i'm trying to think of other if i come up with other shows you should yeah. watch yeah shoot it over to me yeah that'd be <laughs> awesome so let's talk about what's next for home chef i understand there's a new offering that you'd like mm-hmm. to share i'll leave the floor to you. okay yeah um so you know obviously we kind of just talked about like how we're doing 
vegetarian and we actually now have a family menu. Um, so part of our goals mm. this year have been to find, to like actually make our offerings better for our current customers, but also to make a space for new customers. So that's family, vegetarians. We've got some other things coming as well. But uh, I think the biggest one is uh, that we're actually going to have kind of like a whole new brand or, well, we have, we have a whole new brand and it's called Tempo. And, um, you know, this is the biggest undertaking for Home Chef ever. So Tempo is a, a completely ready to eat, ready to heat experience. Uh. And so this is for people who are really not, maybe they don't have the time or maybe just for their lifestyle, it's easier for them to um, just be able to microwave a meal. The key for this, mm. though, is that all of the food is not like mass produced. I mean, it is, but it's not like coming out of machines and like, it's not like what right. you think of as like manufactured food. Like we're cooking for real, just in higher mm. volumes. And uh, so all of the food is, uh, you know, like the vegetables are fresh. We're the ones roasting them and seasoning them. And so the okay. the key to these meals is not just that they're quick, but that they're flavorful and that they have like a certain amount of protein. There is a certain percentage of like fresh vegetables, whole grains. Um, so we really want this to be um, for people who are looking to have a delicious meal, have it quick, but also to still be able to feel mm. good about it. Um, sometimes we have quick meals and it's like, oh, I mean, I, it was good, but I don't feel well, <laughs> you know, it doesn't feel like it was good for you. Yeah. And so we really want, yeah, yeah, yeah same, same. So we want an alternative <laughs> where it's like you can eat it. It's, um, it's going to be flavorful and that it's also not going to take a lot of time and that you'll feel, you'll feel good about eating it because you know that it was made, you know, with fresh vegetables, whole grains. And so, yeah. That's uh, kind of in the works, one of the reasons why I'm traveling. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. <laughs> Looking forward to having more and more people uh, seeing it. And the website is actually live as we speak. I know there'll probably be a little delay before this podcast goes out. But, yeah, the, the website just went live. It's tempomeals.com. It's been this, like, work over the last few years. And so now to see it actually happening obviously you know like when you uh -huh. start something this big we still have like little kinks and things to work out but um it's just been this massive undertaking for home chef and like every part of home chef has had to work together for this and i think that makes you know mm -hmm. actually launching it feel even more more fulfilling because it's like it wasn't due to like one person's individual brilliance it's like this literally took the entire company and um so yeah, we're we're super excited. It's gonna be uh, really cool to see when it's like the official unveiling comes out and we start really pulling in customers and um, seeing their reactions. And same with our like normal with our like core business, we are really looking forward to getting feedback from customers because that's how we get better and that's how we like understand what their needs are. So uh, I'm really like. Uh, just not just me, my team, all of Home Chef. Like we, we can't wait to see people's reactions, both good and bad. Bring yeah, all. bring it all because um, <laughs> we are like determined. We're going to have a great product, and um, we're super excited to to share it with with our with our customers. That is so exciting. That's a very big undertaking. That's a, that's a huge launch. Is just to clarify, is it microwave meals that you're 
refrigerating and taking out? Is this a, this isn't a frozen, this is not a frozen food line. So, uh, we will cook them. We pack them individually and then we ship them to customers. And so if you're a customer, you will order, let's say four meals, and then you will just, you'll receive those four meals. You put them in your refrigerator. Um, and then you're able to, to use them throughout the week. Okay. In my head, I was thinking this is going to be like an in-store like yeah. line. Uh, yeah. I mean, sense. I don't, I, that's not a thing I, I would feel free to, to speak about at the moment as to whether or not it'll be in stores for now. It's going to be online, but you know, we have a, a huge, uh, retail presence. And so down the line someday, but for now we, we're really focused Maybe. on like our, uh, defining our tempo customer, getting, getting it out to them and just making sure that, uh, we're, we're giving them what they want and that we, we have a great product. And then, yeah, we'll see with the retail opportunities. But, you know, for your listeners, check out Home Chef in the retail setting, Kroger stores uh, and uh, all of their kind of like affiliate stores and, um, you know, lots of Home Chef products there, too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's very exciting. And congrats on the launch. I'm sure you worked really hard and it's taken you. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was a team time. team effort. If it was just my hard work, we wouldn't be anywhere. So huge team team undertaking. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you were just the one. <laughs> For doing sure, it all, I wasn't. But... <laughs> <Come> yeah. <on. laughs> all right. So I have a short game for okay. you. If you're up for it, it's. I basically name popular food trends right now, and then you'll tell me if you're for or against, smash or pass. I'm really hoping for some like real hot takes here, because that is like what we do on my team. It's like okay. you, the hotter the hotter the take you have about something, the more we want to talk about it. So I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Well, now I feel pressure. <laughs> <laughs> if if you want to add a hot take. Okay, we'll we'll see what I have after after we get through this. <laughs> okay. First, pumpkin spice. Oh no, that's a pass. It's a pass uh, because it's just the spices. So there was a place that was is not far from where I live in 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 the it was it was it is in Chicago. Well, it was in Chicago, closed. Uh, but they actually did like of a pumpkin spice latte but it actually had like real pumpkin in it and it was like delicious but like just using the spices i am just not it just doesn't do anything for me i know people love it but it's it's not for me yeah i feel like it's fine all right this i have a lot of um opinions on this but ranch dressing smash or pass that is a pass for me but i know people love it Mm -hmm. i just I'm not big on like cold creamy sauces. Like I'm not even like the biggest like sour cream fan. So ranch to me, and then also growing up like in a Jamaican household, like, there was no ranch. Like to get ranch dressing, I had to go to like a friend's house yeah. to get like Kraft mac and cheese. That was like friend's house. That, that didn't exist for me. So uh, yeah, ranch. I didn't grow up eating it, and to this day, I don't hate it, but I don't go out of my way to eat it. What is your What is your take on ranch? I dislike it a oh. lot. <laughs> All right. I just think it's like when people eat it by the spoonful, I think that's where I draw the line. I'm like, I've seen people do that and it just gives me anxiety. I can't. There's, a, there's like a real Midwestern thing with like dipping pizza in ranch dressing and I am not here for it at all. No. I don't don't like it. 
No, I won't do it. Okay, so I'll ask you this. Pineapple on pizza as a Chicago uh, native. I really hate pineapple on pizza, but only because I think it's often done with like total disregard for like how it could be done well. Like typically it's uh, it's just like canned pineapple, like thrown on top of a pizza. And to me, if you're going to do pineapple on pizza, it has to be paired with something salty. So usually it's like ham, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess that makes sense. But to me, the pineapple should be like beautifully caramelized. And like, I think there's a way to do it well. It's just never done well. And so I don't want it. Well, not everyone has the eight-year-old chef brain from when they were <laughs> a child. Yeah. It's, this is no shame. So they're not caramelized. Yeah, no shame on anybody who <laughs> likes it. I have a friend who every time he ordered pizza for like a group, he would get cheese and pineapple and chicken and pineapple. And those are the only two pizzas you'd order. I'd still eat it, but I would make fun of him. I would too. You need to at least throw a plain cheese <laughs> right. in there if you're going to get pineapple on oh. pizza forever. Well, there's my hot take. I hate cheese pizza. Not because <gasps> it doesn't what? taste good, but because I'm like, I'm an adult. I feel like pineapple, or I feel like cheese pizza is like for a five-year-old. And I'm just like, I want something more interesting. I don't even want like the like, Quattro formaggi. I don't want, I like, give me something with like more happening. Um, so I'll never order cheese pizza. Never, ever, ever. Uh, unless it's for my daughter. I disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, it's such a class. Okay, I get where you're coming from, though. I do. Because there can be like, you can put better yeah. things on a pizza. You can put like prosciutto, you can put vegetables. You can, you can definitely make it better. I won't disagree with that. But I do think it's it's very classic, it simple ingredients, easy, you know, like Friday pizza sure. nights. Do you consider pizza margarita to be cheese pizza? Because I do not. No. Okay, good. Like I'll get a no. I'll get a margarita pizza. Oh, okay. That's that's fine. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> I, like just like your classic kind of like just cheese laden pizza, I'll eat it. But I, it's just not, it's not really what I want. I want something interesting. That's a fair point. I mean, maybe, is that a chef thing or is that just? I don't know. I'll say this. My maybe. go-to pizza is pepperoni pizza. Like if I'm just going to have like a basic pizza or like my, my litmus test for a pizza restaurant or for a pizzeria is like, what is your pepperoni pizza like? Huh. I don't know why. That's just, I love pepperoni pizza. I honestly, I used to be very picky as a, as a child. So like if there was pepperoni on my pizza, I'd be the one picking it off. Oh, wow. The entire time. Yeah. I didn't even eat super weird take. I didn't even eat French fries until like high school. I just like was so picky. I didn't eat sandwiches or like salads until literally college. So wait, what did you eat? Cheese pizza. We've established that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I did eat cheese pizza. Um, and what did I? Oh, I would literally just eat like vegetables and then just like whatever protein my mom cooked and then like okay. mac and cheese. I feel like that seems pretty great though, right? At least you weren't like, I don't eat green things. You know, it's like you're eating vegetables. That, that seems pretty true. solid. And Oreos. <laughs> Oreos are delicious. That that was a phase I had for sure. Yeah. Um, it's went away, but 
hopefully you still indulge <laughs> you once know. in a while oh yeah obviously always <laughs> <laughs> all right my final question for you if there is one cooking appliance you or utensil that you think everyone should splurge on what would it be and why okay so typically i'm against like any just single use anything that's single use and these are not splurges like a garlic press i won't allow inside mm -hmm. my kitchen like i hate garlic presses i hate like all those like little like as seen on tv like kitchen things i hate them but i do like <laughs> to have multiple ways to cook things so my for me the splurge is an immersion circulator like uh so for sous vide cooking um, it just gives you like a lot of flexibility to be able to cook different things it's very chefy and i suppose people would say a bit pretentious for me mm -hmm. though i'm like well if you're cooking a meat or you're cooking uh, a vegetable mm -hmm. these are things that you could like literally you can like put it into a ziploc bag you can drop it in the water and like go and do what you need to do and then it'll be cooked when you get home and you can do meats and legumes and vegetables and i love it for like if i'm ever doing like you know having people over and uh, it's just a way of like cutting down a lot of like hands-on cooking time. I can like make steaks and cook them all to like the right temperature. And then when people are over, mm -hmm. all I'm doing is just like putting the grill marks on it and I'm done. And I can actually spend time with the people I have over instead of like being a grump in the kitchen, right. being like, yeah, don't put your stuff on my cutting board. Uh, so for me, <laughs> yeah, it would be, that's a, it's a splurge. Do I think everybody needs one? No, but I think, once you get like some basic mastery of it, I think you find that it is super helpful and they're getting more and more inexpensive all the time. So less of a splurge. Okay. All comes back to the cutting board. Don't touch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually haven't tried sous vide and chefs tell me to do it all the time and I just like haven't done it. So I'll take your advice. Maybe this is the time that I'll do it. Yeah, definitely try it. It's, uh, it's not the end all and be all. I just, I love having different ways to cook things. And so, I actually have to like rein myself in because we only have so much storage in my house and my wife rolls her eyes, but it's like, I have multiple ways of like open fire cooking. I have, you know, like slow cookers and sous vide and like, I've, I have all this like stuff and equipment and I love it, but at some point, you know, you got to rein it in. So splurge on lots of stuff if you have, if you can. Oh yeah. If you can. Yeah. I have an over the fire cooking episode with someone who does that all the time. So you should listen to it. Not to... No, <laughs> I, I started listening to your podcast in preparation for this. You now have uh, a lifelong view, uh, listener, really great oh, stuff. Yay. And, uh, I've enjoyed, uh, I've, I've listened to the first one and then I've started to work my way from most recent back. Oh my gosh. That makes me so happy. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's great. I think you've had interesting people on. I like that. They're not all like the biggest names, um, because sometimes like we've, we've already heard a lot about those people. Um, so yeah, super mm. interesting. I forgot who the one person was who he was like, also like Jamaican heritage. And I was like, oh man, he's stealing all my content. Oh, Sakari. Yeah, Sakari, yeah. I was going to bring him <laughs> up actually when you said that, but I was like, I don't know if he'll know what I was talking about. That's funny. Yeah. yeah I wanted to, that's kind of the point. I didn't want to talk to like the, I mean, if Guy Fieri wants to come on my podcast, yeah, yeah. I'm not. Absolutely take him. <laughs> but I didn't want to have all the Guy Fieri's of the world, sure. you know, on my podcast, I kind of wanted to talk to people like you and like people I was super interested in. So 
Thank you. I'm very excited. And thank you for coming on. This was a really fun conversation and I'm going to take all your Chicago recs and use them. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see to see how it works out. And when you have like a decent Chicago pizza, still might not be your favorite style of pizza, but at <laughs> least you can try a decent version of it. I'm just going to name this episode Pizza Talks with Nigel. <laughs> yeah. That's it. yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, amazing. So you can check out Home Chef's website, www homechef.com for their latest meal offerings. Yes, yeah. and also right. soon to come tempomeals.com as well. Hey fellow foodies, thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave me a review. And while you're at it, make sure to follow me at Living for Food Pod on Instagram or TikTok or email me at livingforfoodpod at gmail.com. Let me know what you're cooking up this week which guests you would like to see on the podcast, or tell me your opinions on the latest viral food trend. Until next time, 